We are live for episode 13 of the MFFL podcast. I am your host, Frankie Lippold, co-hosting with you know by now, Mitch Farnsworth. And today we are joined by none other than Nick Fink. Nick was the producer of Baskin and Phelps for seven years on 92.3 The Fan. So Nick, hello. Thank you for joining us. We're pretty good, pretty good. Um, today we're going to be discussing uh, the Indians, Browns, and Ohio State, but with the uh, news of Ohio State dropping, so we'll start with them. Um, what's been, what was your first question for you? What, what is your overall take of the whole Urban Meyer situation that went down? Well, I was really disappointed with Urban Meyer when the news came out. I, I've been a huge Urban Meyer fan since obviously Florida and when he came to Ohio State and he really changed the program Ohio State's always been really good but he took it to that level that Trestle just could never quite get them to and I was a really big believer in the quote-unquote new Urban Meyer the Urban Meyer that didn't have the same troubles that he had in Florida with players and things like that and it really bothered me that he had a blind spot for Zach Smith and it bothered me even more that it was because Zach Smith was connected to Earl Bruce. Right. Like, it was that blind spot of nepotism that really bothered me. Outside of the actual issues of, of the domestic violence aspect of this. Yeah, I, I know. It, it's a, been a whole whirlwind ever since Brett McMurphy dropped that whole lengthy article about what went down. And, and then you saw at the press conference, they just... He he looked like Urban didn't want to be there. Um, they... Well, when it came to the press conference, conference that was just disappointing. Yeah, uh, Urban Meyer is known for giving press conferences. Maybe not be the most open coach in the world, but more so than like a guy like Nick Saban or something like that. You usually can get a little something from Urban Meyer. He'll go there on occasion, and he usually has that ability to have empathy. He's a really smart guy. If you look into some of his uh, programs that he started at Ohio State, like Real Life Wednesdays and things like that, where he's really open about other things than just football. And I think what disappointed me about the press conference was it felt like Urban Meyer was being forced to stand up there and be a team player, even though he didn't agree with the decision. And that's something he obviously agreed to. Because I don't believe that Ohio State just suspended Urban Meyer without Urban Meyer agreeing to serve a suspension. Yeah, right. Uh, me watching the press conference, it, it seemed like Urban and Gene Smith were more interested in apologizing to Buckeye Nation and not actually Courtney Smith. Uh, I know. Uh, yeah. yeah, you go ahead. No, no. I mean, I agree. I mean, I think Courtney Smith, through all of this, I think the biggest shame has been that people are acting like Urban Meyer is somehow the victim here. Uh, Courtney Smith was, you know, there's evidence, there's pictures showing abuse of some kind, at at the very least. And Buckeye Nation has done their best to, or a good chunk of them, to act as if Urban Meyer is the victim here, when no matter what, how this works out, if Urban Meyer knew something about Zach Smith, he admitted he knew it, and allowed him on his staff. And there's no world in which that should be acceptable, at least to me. That's how I've felt about it. Right. I know um, Ben Alex- Ben Axelrod of WKYC said that uh, Urban Meyer asked a reporter to repeat a question, and he said he's never heard that before, asking Urban to have the reporter repeat the question. And then just during that press conference, at least three to four times, um, he asked a reporter to repeat what he said, and 
it just looked like he didn't really want to be there, didn't seem interested. And um, what my take was, I don't think he really accepted the fact that he's going to be suspended, but it's not really even a real suspension. It's only missing the one game, but then he's allowed to take part in practices after September 2nd. Like, on a personal level, like, just as me, as an Ohio State fan, and, and I am a diehard Ohio State fan. Now, my wife is an alum of Ohio State. Her brother is an like, so I come from, so I am an Ohio State fan, and then my in-laws are even bigger Ohio State fans. Yeah. And so as a Buckeye fan, I wanted Urban Meyer fired because I just don't feel like he can in any way represent my football program. But I do think that the punishment handed down the three games was the very barest of minimum that they could have done. He had to miss TCU. Mm-hmm. And I think that, you know, even if I wouldn't have had a problem if it had been longer. I just think that I think that's a real message. And, and I think that people act like that's not a big deal. But TCU is a top 15 team. They're probably going to be a top, you know, it could be as high as a top 10 team when that game actually rolls around. Mm-hmm. It's in Texas. That's a big game for Urban Meyer to miss. Like, that is not just your run. I mean, that will be Ohio State's third signature win on their resume if they win that game, probably right behind Penn State and Michigan. Yeah, right. Um, what have been your takes of this whole situation, Mitch? Um, it's a difficult situation, of course. You know, whenever domestic abuse is coming along in a situation, it's always, you know, difficult for everyone. Um, but it really, like you guys were talking about the interview, it, it was kind of like Urban wanted to turn it, you know, as he was the victim, like both you said. But the three-game suspension, I, I always said it was kind of a one-game suspension because Oregon State and, you know, Rutgers are not going to be – the talent differential between the two is so ma- like massive. You know, it's going to be a blowout no matter what if it's Urban Meyer or anyone else on the – you know, as a coach. But that TCU game is big. That's the one game that I think is the biggest that's going to hurt that team without Urban Meyer on the sideline, like he was saying. Um, With the saying it's a three-game suspension, I think it's Ohio State. Coming from a Michigan fan, I'm just going to say that Ohio State, by throwing this down, is saying that they care more about football and money than their own reputation. Yeah, I'd have to agree with that because, like, they fired Jim Trestle over tattoos and whatnot, and then knowing um, that Urban uh, hired him, not even from Florida, he knew he had these problems, and you saw during the press conference someone asked Gene Smith if he knew when he hired him that he had these problems in Florida, but he didn't. So that's But Urban did know, and he rehired him, so that's my whole... I don't really get Urban well, I that... Think when you look at- when you look at the Ohio State's problem, I think it's you're going to see that this is going to affect them on a national level. I mean, how do you even know how this will play out with the playoffs coming? Is the NCAA committee going to want to put a team like this in that's going to have this holding over them? Yeah. I mean, you could be in a situation where Ohio State, if they don't go undefeated, they're going to be out because they don't want the hassle. Right, yeah, I could definitely see that happening. Um, so... Uh... Any final thoughts on the whole Urban Meyer situation and Ohio State guys? The Buckeyes are still going to be really good. Yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. What did he say? I wanted to hear what he said. He just oh, said. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, they're going to be really good this year. I like. I think that that people need to understand that even though this is really a bad situation, Ohio State probably has you know 
five first round picks on their roster. I mean, Joey Bosa is, or Joey Bosa, excuse me, Nick Bosa is probably going to be the number one overall pick. Chase yeah. Young is going to be an unbelievable other end. It's this team is really, really good, and I don't even. Dwayne Haskins, from everything I've read and heard, is just unreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you saw when JT Bear went down he, against Michigan, he just led him right down the field and pretty much took control of that game when it was up for balance. Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, anything else, Mitch, for you? No, I think I'm good. All right, then let's go on to the uh, Indians here. Um, they. They split with the Boston series, which was the one that was most anticipated for for a while. They won the first two and then just got smacked around in the last two. Um, so do you think, Nick, the Indians can compete with the rest of the AL teams coming up in the playoffs? You know, I, I often get accused of being an Indians hater, um, which is ironic because I love the Indians the most of yeah. all of the teams in town. Um, that's a tough question for me. Can they compete? Absolutely. When the Indians are playing at their best, they're right there with Boston for being the best team in the American League. I just think that right now, at this moment, now it's possible that while we're talking that they have actually done something, but right now I just don't know if they have the lineup to compete in the AL playoffs with a team like Boston. And I I think you saw that the last two games. Once Boston got up, there was virtually no hope that the Indians could come back. I mean, at least for me, it didn't help that they weren't. I mean, they got just completely flummoxed by David Price yesterday. Yeah. And, like, it's not going to get any easier when you're in a four-game or a seven-game series or a five-game series and everything gets tighter, hitting gets worse, you know. Again, you see Jose Ramirez not exactly perform up to standard in a big-time series. Now, am I concerned? about that in general and maybe not necessarily but now it's something that i'm actually paying attention to like it just feels like all right these are the things we need to watch out for i do think the indians pitching staff is probably the best in baseball at this point with after the hand trade and how good the bullpen has been since the deadline or just before the deadline i guess but i think they just don't have that thing right now that special thing that gleam that you see on a team that can go all the way at the moment. I know because last uh, last year we were sitting there. We got Jay Bruce, so we're even added another huge bat to our lineup. And then this year, there's just not really maybe Josh Donaldson, but he's still not even 100 percent healthy. And then obviously with Leonis Martin out for the year, uh, do you think the Indians should go after Andrew McCutcheon? Um, and why didn't they put a claim on him since they had the opportunity to? With the McCutcheon thing, I think they should have gone for McCutcheon before the deadline. I think they should have gone for McCutcheon if Martin was healthy. I think they should absolutely go with McCutcheon now. Um, I think McCutcheon profiles as a right fielder for the Indians. Uh, I think that'll just be better for him in general. The Indians have defensive center fielders. That's not the issue. We're more looking for a bat in right field, and mm-hmm. he'll play better defense than Melky. Uh, I think he'll play slightly better de- defense than Geyer, but I think it's negligible but you want that bat as for the waiver claim you know i did kind of complain about this when i saw it the other day but part of the reason is is sometimes you don't claim players because you only get that 48 hour window i I think you just saw this with matt harvey and the brewers the brewers put on a claim on Matt, matt harvey and it's just sometimes really hard to work out these kind of trades in 48 hours yeah right and so i think that if by letting him clear waivers they get the opportunity to maybe negotiate a little bit longer, wait a little bit, 
make sure everything works before pulling off this kind of a trade. But if it's me, I'm all over Andrew McCutcheon, just all over it. I mean, I think that is the Jay Bruce-esque home run, go-for-it move left on the table for the Indians. Yeah, because I know Mitch loves Melky Cabrera, and I'm just not the biggest fan. I, I know I saw one of your tweets, Nick. It was like he's playing good enough to just where you think – He'll he'll be good in September and October, but then he'll he'll go back down. Um, well, that's just how it always seems to work for the Indians. Uh, I'm a, a infamous Jason Kipnis basher, if you will. But my yeah. whole argument was Kipnis has played good for three weeks all season, and it was the three weeks in which Manny Machado was about to be dealt. It, it just this happens a lot to the Indians, and I'm sure it happens to other teams, but I don't pay enough attention to the day to day of other teams that. The guy like Melky Cabrera knows they're probably looking for an outfielder, so he kind of just amps it up a bit. And I think that's just human nature. I think that's anyone in any pressure situation. If you think you're about to lose your job, you try just that little bit harder to make it work. That just seems to be happening to the Indians a lot. It was like in June when their bullpen kind of recovered for a minute. And you're like, oh, maybe we don't need bullpen Paul. And then luckily, right at the beginning of July, it fell apart again, and then you make the Adam Simber Brad hand trade. But, oh, you said one of you uh, liked Melky. Which one was it? I'm sorry, I missed that. No, it was that was just, me. Yep. Well, what do you? What, what is that you? If, I'm sorry. I know you guys are the interviewee or interviewers, and I'm the interviewee. But what is it about Melky that you like? Cause I'm not a Melky hater. I just think he's a meh to me personally. I just feel like he's been impressive the last few weeks. He's held a you know um, a standard out in the outfield, and he's hitting well at this point. Um, obviously, we've been plagued by injuries and everything like that. I thought, oh, uh, you know, Zimmer going down, and uh, we were still looking for another bat, but he's been a good placeholder for now if we wanted to make another trade. Such as, you know, uh, Anis Martinez just gone down. We still can now have Malky Cabrera out there that he's still hitting well. I'm, I'm just, that's what I kind of looking at since we're in our situation. He's a good placeholder for us right now, and he's playing well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I think, look, I think Malky's been playing great like, recently. Um, I don't think his outfield play has been as bad as the metric says it's been or as bad as we assume it could be. And don't get me wrong, I think that, you know, it's not great. But I think that in a late-game situation in the playoffs, I think you're going to end up, as the currently constituted, you're in a bad spot a little bit because now you're going to have to play Brantley late in games in left field. So when, when it comes to Leonis, before he got hurt, you were in a situation where, at the end of a game, you would probably go with an outfield of Rajay, Martin, and Allen in some sort of order. Yeah. And now, with Martin out, you're going to have to play Brantley, at least in left, at the end of games, which is not something you necessarily want. So you're going to need that defensive addition, and that's where McCutcheon for Cabrera at least makes sense. I'm not saying you can't carry Cabrera on the roster. I just think that you're going to need that defensive replacement at the very least in the form of an Andrew McCutcheon or even a Billy Hamilton, although I believe he's not going to be available now. Yeah, he, he was uh, in their lineup t- today for the Reds, I saw, so I don't know if he even got claimed or um, – but he's in the lineup for today. But um, I know you touched on Kipnis a little earlier, and then we were going to talk about Yandy Diaz and just how it seems like Francona and all them never want to play him – in the field anywhere it's if he plays he's a dh and then we had that situation with uh lindor and diaz going to francona just asking like hey dude like am i still going to be around or or what do i have to do 
to keep playing. So what are your thoughts on Yandy Diaz? Say that again. I'm sorry. You kind of cut out there for a second. I apologize. Uh, I'm just saying uh, what happened with Yandy Diaz and why can't he be like an everyday player? Well, when it comes to Yandy Diaz, I, I just think he's a victim of the way the Indians do business. And I don't mean that in a necessarily negative way, although I don't love it. Is the Indians just seem to find these, they have these certain guys that they just don't seem to ever be willing to pull the trigger on. I think you saw it with Jesus Aguilar. Uh, I think you've seen it with, there's a lot of guys like that in the Indians organization who just don't ever seem to get that opportunity. And for some reason, they just don't love Yandy Diaz. And I don't know if it's just because he doesn't really profile to what they're doing. Uh, you know, the Indians are huge on this launch angle revolution. And Yashandi can't do it. It's not a, you know, it's funny. It's, you don't, you don't, ten miles up at, you can't see it in the air. And I also think that putting Yandi in every day is going to displace Jason Kipnis at this point. Yeah. And I just, over, the Indians just have proven over and over again that, that is, they're just not interested in that. Yeah, because they don't even want to move Kipnis out to the outfield now. They're pretty adamant on that. Tito said that, that that sale is shipped. So, um, what are your thoughts on Yanni Diaz, Mitch? Also, you could say, you know, Greg Allen and, you know, Del Cabrera played well right now in the last two weeks so far, so uh, he hasn't really given him a chance. I was just saying that he didn't really show well uh, against Boston in the last uh, uh, four games at all, you know, compared to Allen and uh, what Melky have been doing. Yeah, right. So, um, Let's try to move to the playoffs here a little bit. Now, I see uh, on, on Twitter, Nick, you said you would rather face Oakland and Houston in the playoffs. Um, I know on a few episodes ago, Mitch and I talked about that we'd much rather face Oakland than Houston and not actually face Houston. So what are your thoughts on uh, the Indians? Well, this is one of my, I guess, hotter takes, if you will. Um, but for me, I would much rather face Houston. Um, look, I look at Oakland and I see a team that in a seven game series signed me up where I have superior starting pitching. I'm all over it. But in a five game series where you would have to fly all the way across the country to Oakland and the difference between flying to Houston and Oakland is extraordinary, even doing it in private in Jets and whatever, yeah. I just think that the Oakland A's have this 2016 Indians feel to them that I want nothing to be a part of. I don't want to be any part of it whatsoever. Um, like, you know, I just look at them like they're this team that's scrappy, that doesn't belong there. I don't know if you remember, in 2016, I think it was Yahoo or USA Today put up a graphic yeah, yeah, about yeah. who they thought would make it out of the, like, the rounds of playoffs, and everyone picked Boston. Mm-hmm. The Indians swept them. Oh, yeah. I just feel like it's the same thing. Yeah, um, I don't know if they. I think our starting pitching would be much better than them in a little shorter series. But I can. Um, I see where you're coming from with flying across the country and whatnot. I just think like if we were to face Oakland, um, I mean, I, I, I'd put, I'd bet that Kluber, Crasco. What's that? We lost you there. What you said? Oh, I'm just saying that we wouldn't really have to face Justin Verlander, Lance McCullers. All these guys in Houston, where I think our starting pitching advantage is just far superior than Oakland's. I, I would have to agree on that. Yeah. Well, I guess my question is, when you when you look at Oakland, like they'll have nothing to lose. They'll have everything to go for. You're already seeing it with the Astros. The pressures of defending their. I mean, they're playing better now, but they just 
went through a horrific stretch of bat- baseball. They've had injury. And I just look at it and I go, I know what I'm getting in the Astros. Yeah. You know, I'm getting Verlander. I'm getting Keiko. I'm getting Morton. I'm getting the colors. And I know their lineup. But with Oakland, I don't know what I'm getting. And, and I would have to look this up. I didn't. I should have. But I feel like the Indians just don't score against the A's. I mean, I know it's going to be in a little bit of an outlier now because of that massive game the last time they were here. Yeah. But like a guy like Sean Manaya has owned the Indians, and he's going to start in a series against you. Where uh, is there anybody on that ace or excuse me on that Astro staff that terrifies you as an Indians fan? Uh, maybe Garrett Cole when he's on, but even then, you can you can still hit him. I mean, yeah, I mean, and that's not to say their pitching staff isn't great, because it is. I guess just that I just feel like the Astros are such a good matchup for the Indians, and I, f- I felt that way for a while. I mean, they might be able to go toe-for-toe on pitching, and their lineup might be, in theory, better, but there's just something about them that I just feel like the Indians match up well, and, I, and it, maybe it's just hubris, but I don't know. The A's scare me in a way that the Yankees scared me last year. I just I feel like sometimes these teams that aren't supposed to do anything can just really put the pressure on a team like the Indians, who, let's just be honest, if the Indians don't make it to the World Series, this is a failure of a season. No, yeah, you're right. Um, what You want to retouch on your thoughts, Mitch, about Oakland and Houston? Who would you rather face? Um, I kind of wanted to talk about, you know, I kind of uh, you kind of persuaded me. I that's a lot of pressure on Houston, like he said, you know, as they yeah. are defending champions. That's a lot of pressure to go on. And then the travel is also a big thing, like he said, going across the country. I can see that. But Oakland, I, I, we can't really, Oakland couldn't go face back to bat with us. I, I'm, you guys were kind of the pitching. I'm thinking of bat versus bat, you know, if we're going, you know, against each other's lineups, we're obviously got that 100% no matter what. I feel like I would take the Indians lineup versus the A's. But, um, I'm gonna. I, I, I'm not sure now with that. Uh, the pressure factor you said about Houston. Um, I feel good. You know, I, I'd rather think I still play the A's, but uh, he's got a point there. We're talking about the Astros and the pressure. Well, what I think is the biggest development that's happened for the Indians, honestly, and through all of this, is the fact that they've caught both teams. Yeah, that's what I was before, just about to say. I was just resigned to the fact that we were starting the ALDS in Houston, and now it's, well, it doesn't really matter if we play the A's or the Astros, because now we have a chance to host it at home, which I think is a major difference in a five-game series. Yeah, right. Um, I know. Uh, I, I For me, I, I'd just rather face Oakland. I think they're a little more less experienced. Uh, Houston was obviously won the World Series, went to Game 7 the World Series, and won it, um, but it if the Indians do get home field, I just feel way more confident. If we had to play Houston, I think if we traveled to Oakland. I just think you'd have and had Game One in Oakland. I just think you you could get like a vintage Kluber performance and win Game One or something like that. And pretty much just down their spirits where Houston's been knocked before and then they got back up from it. Have you ever been to the Coliseum in Oakland? No, I have not. Either of any of you? No. I got to tell you, it is the dump that people say it is in the sense of it's just a really, you know, weird, gross, old stadium. But it's a cool place to watch a baseball game. I went last summer to see the Indians play there um, on my honeymoon. And it was like both my wife and I, and we've been to a lot of parks at this point. We've both walked away and it's it's like the food is cheap and it's, it's not easy to get to, but the food is cheap. 
but it was a fun place to watch a game. A's fans are awesome. So I just just as an aside, yeah. like, I really liked the Coliseum. So um, as yeah. we're talking about the yeah. playoffs, yeah, I heard about Rick Manning yeah. was saying the same thing that he just doesn't like the park. Like the uh, outfield is so weird, but I always kind of like the look of that. You know, it's the old style Coliseum and stuff like that. I always kind of like that look. I never went to a game at Old Municipal, and it's what I imagine it must have been like for me. I, I don't know. Probably, probably, I'm getting that feel from it. Um, so, a final question about about baseball here. Um, if we we're talking about the playoffs, what would be if you had to pick right now? Who would what would be your World Series prediction and your World Series winner? You know, I've been thinking about this. Um, I'd love to say the Indians, but I just can't get there at the moment. Um, I really do think the Red Sox are something special this year. Um, yeah. It's not to say I don't think the Indians could beat them, but as of right now, I would probably go with Red Sox, Braves. I just think the Braves are going to just be a force in the NL playoffs if they can get in. And I'm really buying into that young team, really just clicking and clicking. Uh, right, the Braves were what? They're in the wild card spot right now, or are they? No, they're in the division lead, correct? Yeah, yeah they're in first yeah. place. They're yeah. three games ahead of Philly right now. Yeah. So uh, for me, I'm going to go with Braves and Red Sox in kind of a traditional World Series. But I think the NL is wide open, and it yeah. would shock me if anybody in the NL went to the World Series. I know for me, I think whoever makes it out of the AL is going to be the World Series winner. I think if if the Cubs, I know the Indians lost the last few games. I don't know if the Cubs caught them, but the, f- the first five teams record-wise, all are the best record are all in the AL. I just think the AL is far superior um, to where, like you said, like Colorado could make it to the World Series. Anybody in the NL could relatively make it to the World Series. Uh, and when you... So you're not you're you, there's no one in the NL that you think I mean obviously I know you said that you think it would win the World Series is there anyone in the NL who scares you in that way? Um, the Cubs getting Daniel Murphy I know Darvish is out for the year now but Cole Hamels ever since they acquired him he's been lights out for them that's just another veteran arm that isn't afraid of the competition so I think if we faced the Cubs I think we'd beat them but I I wouldn't bet the house on it per se. Um, I because I, I know it. Uh, twenty sixteen, if we had a Carrasco and Brantley, we win the World Series. And I just think if we're healthy all the way, I know we lost players from that team, but relative, the team is the same. Uh, I just think we would win the World Series if we got there. Uh, if we get past the Red Sox or whoever we would have to face. Uh, and then well, you said it would be uh, Red Sox and Braves, but who would you think the Red Sox would win that series? Yeah, I think at this point, and I hope I'm wrong about this because there's nobody I hate more than the Boston Red Sox, but I would think that they're a team of destiny at this point. So I would go with the Red Sox. I think it is a little interesting, though. Purcello, Sale, and Price have never won a playoff game yet, though. I know Price has won one coming out of the bullpen, but starting a game, neither all three of them have never won a start, which I think is an interesting fact. Um that's unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah. It's unbelievable. Uh, I know. And I believe the Indians have beaten all three of them. Yeah. Uh, I don't. Did they? I don't know. I don't know if they've ever played Sale in the playoffs, but I know. No, you're right. They didn't. Sale wasn't on the team that year, was he? Yeah. No, they beat Porcello and Price. Yeah. One and two. Yeah. Um, and then, what would be your World Series prediction, Mitch? Um, I'm kind of. I'm. I'm kind of with him. I'm. I hope not because the red. It's. I'm. Trying. Messing up my words here. I really hope it's not the Red Sox, but I feel like it's going to be the Red Sox and the AL. And 
really, like you said, the NL is wide open. You got the Braves, Cubs, and Diamondbacks all leading each of the uh, uh, their respective divisions. And um, I, I, I don't really. If the Indians faced any of these, I'm not really worried about any of these at all from the NL. Yeah. I'm. I just don't see any team that would uh, put fear into my in a heart at all. Uh, I would probably right now the way the Braves are playing. I'm I'm kind of with them on it. I I, I kind of like the Braves right now. I think the sleeper team in the NL, no one's really talking about, is the Diamondbacks, um, or even the Cardinals at this point. Both teams are getting hot at the right time, and I I think the Cardinals are another team. Matt Carpenter is playing like an MVP. Um, Has an in-season firing ever gone any better than yeah. the Cardinals firing Matheny? Yeah, it's yeah. Yeah, they were. Pretty, I don't know if they. Were, I don't know if they were under 500 when they fired him, but ever since they, they were right there, they were either yeah. right under it or at it. Yeah. And then they have just caught fire. Um, they must have hated him, uh, the way they're playing. But yeah, that's another team I look out for. Even the Brewers, I know they're struggling, but you can name off pretty much any team in the NL, and they have a serious chance of making it to the World Series. Um, it's kind of the reverse of 2016 where everyone knew the Cubs were coming out of the NL right? And or it was going to be the Cubs or the Dodgers and then but everyone in the AL was like well it could be Boston it could be the Indians it could be you know it was just one of those strange years right yeah uh, let's go to our final point here the Cleveland Browns um, they're 2-1 so far in the preseason um, but three, three preseason games in what's your take on how the Browns will fare this year so far you know, I gotta say, uh, obviously, I- I've covered the Browns more than any other team um, when I worked in radio. And one of the things I always taught myself is to never get too excited about the Browns because they're always gonna let you down. Um, yeah. But I-, I gotta admit, I- I'm hooked. I am hooked. I-, I can't imagine a preseason. Now, let me say this with the hope that Denzel Ward will be okay and that Terod Taylor will be okay. But I think like this has gone great. Tyrod yeah. or Tyrod Taylor clearly looks like he is the best quarterback, and at the same time, Baker Mayfield looks like he's the real deal. Their defense looks legit. Their offense is being very vanilla, so I'm guessing it'll be look a little bit better. But when you think of Josh Gordon and you think of Callaway and you think of Landry, who, by the way, I, and it could be the hard knocks factor here. I yeah. mean, I, I could. I once had a take about Jarvis Landry. I thought he was going to be a disaster here disaster yeah and i feel like if this thing works it's going to be because of him yeah that was yeah i'll follow up my next question uh you brought up hard knocks i mean i've loved hard knocks i'm gonna be i'm giving it an a plus for the browns but what's been your letter grade for how well hard knocks has been shot you know i I, i'm gonna agree with you it's got to be an a and you know i had never watched i'm gonna admit this to you i've never watched an episode of hard knocks until yeah neither have i this year yeah it's just not my thing. I mean, I like the NFL, but I don't generally obsess about it like most people. And so, but I have loved it. And it really has made me buy into the Browns because I'm invested in what they're doing. Now, with that being said, I think that Hugh Jackson has looked like an F minus on hard knocks. Yeah. I think he's the worst person in the organization when it comes to perception through hard knocks. Well, I mean, what did you guys think? I mean, like, who has impressed you most on hard knocks? Um, you said it was an A, right? Yeah, I liked it. I, I mean, I like uh, David Ninjoku. He's a character. Carl Nassib's been great on it. Um, but I mean, I think it shows. I mean, obviously, there's. I think there's two episodes left. Um, 
two more weeks of it. But I just think the whole team, you kind of they get it, they get where they're coming from. Where they're like, we've sucked last year, we but that was last year. Let's buy into now. Um, so that's just what I've taken. I think they're all coming together where it's like we were shitty, but now let's be good. And you see Landry saying, if we're for all good, we can make it to the Super Bowl. So. I mean, obviously that's a little far fetched, but who knows? Um, and then, what is your uh, official win loss prediction for the Browns this year? Um, you know, um, I'm probably gonna say that I'm gonna be cliche. I'm gonna probably say they're gonna go six and ten, seven and nine. But I'm gonna put this caveat on it: if they can get off to a somewhat decent start, I think that could go up. And I think, and what I really want out of them this year is I want to be in the playoff picture come November, early yeah. December. Like, when I'm sitting there watching the Thursday games on Thanksgiving on CBS or Fox, I want to see them put up that playoff picture, and I just want to be the in the in the hunt category. That's all I want. If I can get that this year, I will consider it a success. I do think that if Terod Taylor is as good as I think he could be, it wouldn't, like, stun me if the Browns made a run at it. I just think their schedule is really tough, especially early. Yeah. It, like, it just, it's one of those things where, I mean, that Jets game is the only one that, like, you look at and you're like, all right, they can win that game. And I'm not even sure they can. It just, I want to see them in real life action. I think we're going to know a lot about this team week one after they face the Steelers. Yeah, I know. Uh, we're, both of our predictions are, are 6 and 10 for the Browns. Um, so their schedule is just so brutal. Um, like we all agree on the first like four games, like you said, the Jets are the only winnable game. But I know coming from last year, the first game of the year, we we almost beat the Steelers. I think, yeah, I think that's that's the crazy part about this. Is if you look at that and you go to the schedule and you're like, you know, last year we looked at the schedule and we went, all right, this is doable. So the first time the Browns have a somewhat decent team, you look at that schedule and you're like, woof. Now you gotta just hope that you get lucky and some of those teams just aren't as good as you think they're gonna be. But Browns and Luck are not exactly synonymous with each other. Well, maybe that's changed now because Tyrod Taylor looked like looked that injury looked terrible, but then uh, he still went back out there. What were your thoughts on Jackson putting Taylor back out there after that? Uh, truthfully, I thought it was a proof of life thing because I thought the last thing they want to do is spend the next week, and they might not play him in Game Four, obviously, being like. Oh, he's hurt. He can't play. Is Baker going to start? Who's going to start Stanton or Baker? Yeah. You know, what happens if Baker goes out there and beats the Steelers week one? Are you going to be able to bring Tarot Taylor back? Things like that. So I thought it was initially their way of saying, look, he's healthy. He's fine. But then they brought him out for another series, and I was like, all right, well, I don't know what's happening now. Honestly, I got to tell you this. I don't want anybody playing next week in the GLC. I yeah. want Baker in bubble wrap. I want Taylor in bubble wrap. I want. I don't ever want to see Miles Garrett play a preseason game again. Yeah. That was an absolutely dominant performance last night. Yeah, I think he proved he never has to play another snap in the preseason because he just took um, it was the right tackle for for a ride the the whole game pretty much while he was in there. Can we just talk for one second about the ridiculousness of a five nothing score? Yeah, we were talking about that before the show. We're like, Mitch, you want to tell him you looked it up how many times it was five nothing. It's happened three times ever, and the last time was 1978. Uh, that was regular season games. The only one that was a pl- – there was one playoff game in 1970 in the wild card between the Cowboys and the Lions. It was 5 nothing. Yes. That's unbelievable. Absolutely crazy. 
I, it was, yeah, it was that game. There was one in 1927 between, I think it was, I can't remember them right now, but I mean, it was 1927, 1970, and 1978 were the three times it's happened. It's just such a cool score. And I think when uh, I said this last night on Twitter that I think Buck came back from a break in the middle of the fourth quarter and he was like, Jose Ramirez has gone deep and the Indians are leading the Phillies five to nothing. Yeah. And, and I know everyone made baseball jokes last night. But I even said that had such an October feel to it. Like I was imagining, like it was the World Series, and how hyped I'd be that the Indians are up five nothing right. against the Phillies. Like I got really excited about it. The final note on the Browns here: I think their defense will be legit. They've had four turnovers uh, last night. Nick Foles looked like garbage. You, you would never think he would have led the Phillies to the Super Bowl. But the... hey, you, you're cutting out. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm just saying uh, the Browns' defense looked pretty legit. They had four turnovers. Um, and then Nick Foles just looked a shell of himself. Uh, he didn't look like the Super Bowl-winning quarterback at all. Um, how, how good do you think the Browns' defense will be this year? Oh, you know, the Browns' defense is its an enigma because part of it is I don't know what to think of Greg Williams. I think, you know, I, I have very grave concerns about the way he plays his safeties. Um, I love blitzes, but he blitzes sometimes where you're just like, man, just pull people back. But there is a makings there. Uh, we've been talking about hard knocks, and one of the things I noticed in last week's episode of Hard Knocks was when there was that fight with Landry, uh, he went to the defensive player and basically, I think it was the Mitchell kid, and he was like, hey, we, you don't need him breaking his hand. You don't need to be hurting yourself. We're going to need you. That kind of leadership seems to be there. Miles Garrett he's a quiet leader, but it feels like every time you hear him talk, he like knows what he's doing. You know, Kirksey comes off as a leader. Uh, Kendricks is going to be a big guy because he knows where he's been here before. Um, if Denzel Ward is healthy, I mean, I watched him at Ohio state. I'm sure you guys watched him at Ohio state. I mean, Denzel Ward is the real deal at corner. Yeah. And even though I would have probably gone with Chubb, um, at four, just because I, I got to admit, I was blinded by the blinded by the Chubb Garrett bookends. I just think that there isn't a glaring weakness in the Browns' defense. Yeah. If if everyone's healthy, you might need a safety eventually. You might need some interior line help. But that's all stuff that you can get. And obviously, you know, with the cap space they have, there's always possible that someone becomes a free agent that you want to fill one of those roles. Yeah, all right. Uh, that'll wrap up the show, guys. Make sure to go follow Nick on Twitter at uh, thinkn 23 um, you can catch us. Our Twitter's uh, at mffLP. Facebook is the same, and then the, our website is mfflpodcast.com. Uh, we want to thank you, Nick, for coming onto the show and giving us your time. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, and thank you, guys. <laughs>